Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I am the lead pastor of St. John's Church and School in Denver, Colorado, right across the street from Wash Park. And in this podcast, what we do is we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. We consider what it looks like uh, to be committed to a Christ-centered worldview and operate with that as our lifestyle. This podcast is for you if you are seeking what that might look like or if you have already committed your life to Jesus Christ. David Brooks, who is a New York Times columnist, recently had an amazing story that he has shared publicly, although it starts off a little bit uh, with, a, with a challenge, uh, but don't panic, it gets positive. Um, and so he went through a divorce in 2013, and then uh, he had to, at that time, move into an apartment alone. At this time, he was not a believer, he was not a Christian at this time in his life. However, his personal and his professional life seemed to converge. So he was writing a book called The Road to Character. And in that book, The Road to Character, he highlights two Christians, uh, none other than St. Augustine, who's a 5th century pastor, and then Dorothy Day, who's a 20th century Christian out of New York City. During this time, his research assistant actually critiques his documentation of Dorothy Day's understanding of grace. And his research assistant says this, you cannot earn your way into a state of grace. This denies its power and subverts its very definition. So with that, he began to experience what he calls religious curiosity. And I guess when you're a New York Times columnist, you have a lot of friends. Uh, So he asked his friends to send him spiritual books So he received 300 spiritual books in the mail. 100 of them were C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And so during this time, he just starts to read. He starts to investigate. He is discovering. And then he describes himself one day at Penn Station, which is in New York City, with all of these people around. He no longer sees them as just corpses you know, as bodies moving around, but he sees them as souls, souls waking up, souls going to work, souls burdened by previous traumas, souls experiencing the goodness of life. But in addition, he sees himself connected spiritually to all of these souls, all of these people, seeing humanity in a different way. And then that leads him to the Aspen Ideas Festival, which is in our very own Aspen, Colorado. And he takes a trip by himself to American Lake, which is here in Colorado as well. And in that moment, he says that he had a transcendent experience with God, opening up his Puritan prayer book and just having an experience with him and God in solitude. I guess that everyone finds God in Colorado. So there we go. Um, But then, so in that experience, he then writes another book called The Second Mountain. And he describes his conversion to becoming a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. He had a breakthrough. That word breakthrough, the way that I'm using it today is the light 
shining in the midst of the clouds, in the midst of the darkness, but then breaking through. And I think we've been all longing for that recently, have we not? Um, But here we are on Easter Sunday, and God's blessed us with that breakthrough. Um, And then in addition, the way I'm using that word is that when someone receives new truth and it sinks into their hearts, it sinks into their minds, it causes their lives to never be the same. That breakthrough gives them a new identity of who they are and also of where they're going and how it lights their path. But just in the story with David Brooks, it typically starts with some clouds, some challenges. And here are some challenges that some friends and some people near to me uh, have shared kind of in the past six months. As you listen, I want you to listen to maybe some ways that you can maybe identify with those challenges, or maybe you'll even add another one uh, to the list. Family illnesses, society concerns, relational conflict, fear of the future, or fear of other human beings, bad habits that you want to break, but you perhaps just you desire a breakthrough, but it's just not happening. Fear of the world our children are growing up in or our grandchildren are at and where they're at spiritually. Or perhaps you would add another one to the list. And maybe there's some personal darkness that you are experiencing even now. And so in John chapter 20, which is the narrative that we're going to look at together today, Mary Magdalene is going to go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see her clouds, we're going to see her darkness in this moment. John chapter 20, verse 1, it says this. It says, now on the first day, that is Sunday of the week, Mary Magdalene, who had traveled three years with Jesus, came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And so, have you ever been awake really early The sun hasn't come out yet, and it's still dark. Okay, now, in her experience, though, now she is going through the distress of Jesus' death. She wants to go to the tomb to pay her respects and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so we see in this experience, the stone's already moved away, and she's looking in and seeing the empty tomb. And so in this moment, what we see in the narrative is that she's crying. She's weeping because Jesus, she perceives him to be dead. But then in addition, in first century culture, she's not able to pay her respects. She's going there to anoint the tomb of Jesus, the body of Jesus, but he's not there. How does she respond to this darkness? The way that she responds is with crying. She cries. That's her way of coping. That's her way of dealing with it. And so in the narrative, we see despair. We see hopelessness. How do you respond? How do you respond when there's those clouds? How do you respond when there's that darkness? Uh, The Cleveland Clinic said that we typically respond in these ways. We lower expectations. Maybe you ask someone else to help. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a counselor. You take responsibility for the situation. You take the bull by the horns. Or 
Maybe like Mary Magdalene, you express distressing emotions. Or perhaps you distance yourself from the source of stress. You just say, I'm going to just distance myself from that person or that experience. I'm just going to take a little bit of space and distance myself. However, what I would tell you in this narrative, John is highlighting that it was dark, but that's also a, a, a highlight, too, of the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, at that time, there was also the disciples getting into a boat. John highlights that it was really dark, and they were about to experience a significant windstorm. But darkness in John means that the light is coming. And so verses 2 through 10, we continue in the narrative and how it progresses. It says this, and so she ran. So you can see she's stressed out. She's sprinting. And went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And that is referring to the apostle John, who wrote this gospel. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So at this time, she's confused. She doesn't know what is going on. She's not understanding what's happening. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, John just wants you to know this this morning, that he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, and I outran Peter as well. Pastors often joke that there was no rivalry between them. Um, and stooping, that word means that they're stooping in, bending over like so, to look in. Looking in a second time, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. Check out this historical detail. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Richard Bauckham, who's a scholar of first century narrative, says that this is not written like a fictional narrative due to the level of detail that is in this narrative. And so continuing. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and he believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. So what you see here with the disciples is a process of discovery. John says he believed. He believed in the resurrection. He believed that the tomb was empty and he knew why. However, he also highlights while he believes that Jesus rose from the dead, he doesn't necessarily know the meaning of it, the meaning for his life, the meaning for human history, the meaning for the 12 apostles. He doesn't understand the depth of it just yet. My question for you this morning is, in the midst of the cloud that we talked about earlier, what would it look like for you to go through a discovery process? a discovery process to kind of figure things out. For me, my cloud when I was 19 years old was I was a skeptic. I was a skeptic about all of this. I was a skeptic about 
Jesus as a skeptic about God. It didn't all make sense to me at that time. So at that time, I needed a process of discovery. And so uh, a Bible study leader uh, in college gave me a book called Letters from a Skeptic. It was written by a son who wrestled with his father's questions about Christianity. So the son is the believer, but the father is the skeptic. They write letters back and forth, and they have like 29 correspondences. And then by the 29th correspondence, dad becomes a believer himself. But for me, I needed some obstacles to be moved out of the way. I needed to have a breakthrough of my own. And I needed to stop settling for second best. I needed to stop settling for second best with my community, second best with my identity, second best with my purpose, second best with my destiny. I needed to stop settling for second best. What David Brooks did, the man that we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, his process of discovery was reading and writing but then also dialoguing with a friend that was already a believer in Jesus, someone who was already all in. And so then, that leads us to verse 11 in the narrative. Check this out. It says this. But Mary stood weeping. She's crying. She doesn't know what's going on. Outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She just wanted to look again. Is he really not there? And she saw two angels in white. The word here that's translated as white could also be translated as glowing or radiating. Sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. So this tells you that Jesus, as the firstborn from the dead, has his resurrection body, and she can kind of, she is going to recognize him, but at this moment, she can't. So that te- gives you a glimpse into what your resurrected bodies will be like at the end. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And Jesus is the best at rhetorical questions, says, whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. At God the Father's right hand, that's where he's going to ascend. That's where he is currently seated on his throne, getting back all of the power of God that he previously uh, humbled himself to not utilize during his public ministry. And he said, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. He's ascending to God the Father. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And so, what we are seeing in this moment, in this historical event, is that light 
is breaking through the darkness. What is happening here in this moment of time is that there used to be a barrier between our creator and humanity, a barrier between creator and creation. It is called sin. It creates a barrier between us and a holy God. But I want you to picture this, that on the cross of Jesus Christ on Good Friday, all the sins of the entire world are transferred to the cross. Jesus took your guilt, Jesus took your shame, Jesus took your sin, and then in an exchange, he gifts you with his righteousness. And then on Resurrection Sunday, which we celebrate today, he has victory over the death, victory over death, rather, by rising from it. He demonstrates his victory by not staying dead, but coming back to life. And he says to each of you today, he calls you by name. He calls you by name. And he says, the payment for sin is for you. The victory over death is for you. He looks you in the eye and he says, you are my son. You are my daughter. This is what I have done for you. And I love that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I had this dream and this is what it's like on the other side. But rather, he gives you concrete demonstration. He shows you what's on the other side. He shows you his resurrection power, his victory. And when you believe, you also have a breakthrough. When you believe that this is yours and you're saying, I want this to be personal, I want this to be mine, I want to be all in with this, you have a breakthrough. And here's what you get. You get a new identity in Christ. You get new meaning from Jesus. And you get a new destiny because of Jesus and what he has done for you. And so, while the cloud covers up the sun for a while, at this day, on this day, in this moment, that cloud is being moved out of the way. And Jesus says these words, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He will light your path to give you eyes to see, eyes to see him, and eyes to see the solution to those clouds through him. And it's like this forward trajectory. That light leads you all the way to his second coming where we will see him face to face and the kingdom of heaven is described like this. There's not gonna be a need for the sun. It says that Jesus' light is gonna radiate his kingdom on that last day when he comes again. And so I invite you this morning that if you are just kinda considering all this, like where I was at on my journey. The invitation is to declare, Jesus, you're my Lord. You take the wheel from here. You give me a new beginning. Cause a breakthrough in my life so that I can see you and I can see where I'm going and I can see the solution through your light. And so I wanna also uh, invite you um, 
if you kind of want a new start, if you want a new beginning, next Sunday we're going to go with a new sermon series called Renewed, and it goes over all of those foundational truths. If you're desiring that spiritual renewal, we would love to see you back here as well. And I'll close with this quote from C.S. Lewis, who's made a great impact on me and a great impact on so many. He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Happy Easter, St. John's. Let's do it one more time. He is risen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, may he guard your heart, may he guard your mind through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.